driving. No purchase necessary. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Radio Free Radio Radio Free Urbanism. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Radio Free Urbanism. I am one of your hosts, Ethan, also known as Climate and Transit, and I am joined by my lovely co-hosts, Alex of Humane Cities. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex of Humane Cities. And we also have Nick of Nick the Door or Nick Laporte. Konnichiwa, minna-san. Podcast, yokuso. Sorry, I just said welcome. All right. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. You know what? We're getting really international with all of our episode intros. You know, we've got, we started the last episode in French. We've got some Japanese in the intro of this one. I can't wait to see what other languages we like to incorporate. What language are you going to learn, Ethan? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, it'll probably be Spanish if it's going to be any language, and it'll probably be butchered, but you know what? We, we just got to give it a good old try. Hop on that uh, Duolingo. I consumed a lot of their, uh, their advertising material, their reels this week. Very entertaining. Yeah. Very oh, entertaining. 100%. 100%. Yeah. They've, they've got some shady practices beso- behind their, uh, their whole, you know, system, but, you know... Uh, if you want to learn the basics of a language, it's not horrible. Yeah, I would yeah. say that's about right. But uh, yeah. as long as we don't start or end the show with, you know, two wheels bad or, you know, train bad again, then I think we're doing okay. Yeah, who would say that? Yeah, who would say that? That would be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Nick, you got uh, you got something going on? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to share a few things. I'm in Japan right now. And I gotta say, if you haven't been to Japan, you gotta come to Japan, especially if you love urbanism. It's got everything, man. And it's not perfect. There are a lot of things I have to complain about. And the one thing I have to start by, I would say about the bad, is that there are a lot of G-Wagons here. Holy shit, I cannot believe how many G-Wagons. I've been filming every G-Wagon I see, because I just wanna collect it all. Even going down those narrow side streets, you know, I'll be on my bicycle, and you'll just hear that rumbling V8 behind you. You're like, oh God, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you live in Japan, you bought a fucking G-Wagon, what are you doing? Anyway, there are some wonderful things here. Obviously the cycling, but the trains, oh my god. So I was in Tokyo for about uh, three and a half days. I didn't get on one bicycle, because why would you? Like, the, the transit is so good, and the wayfinding is so good. It's just incredibly easy to get around, and it, it, was, it was honestly, it was a dream come true. But I think the most important thing I want to talk about. And my favorite thing, I actually had a screenshot somewhere. Maybe I'll share it afterwards, but I got on the Shinkansen and I couldn't believe how easy it was to get on the train. You go up to the, the little computer, you type in where you're going, you buy your ticket, you go through the ticket gate and you're on the platform and you get on the train. It's like, it was so easy, just so incredibly easy, but more importantly, so fast. I had my like speed tracker app that I had and it recorded the whole trip. And just like, what are we, what are we doing in North America? Like, how aren't these widespread? At least in like some core areas as we've talked about in the past, like that Quebec uh, to Windsor corridor, or you know the Eastern Seaboard in the United States. Like, why, why isn't this widespread? It's it's insane. The top speed on this train, and it's definitely not the fastest train that they have in Japan. It got up to 287 kilometers per hour, and among the longest stretch, which was, I think, between where I started in Odawara and Nagoya, the average speed was 240 kilometers per hour. That's from, from stop to stop. Like, 
it's it's incredible. It's 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 honestly amazing. But uh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm gonna be that's that's making great. a video about cycling in Japan in the future. So stay tuned for that. I just want to say, if you haven't been to Japan, come to Japan. It's awesome. Yeah, and what's cool too about like about that is they built it on like a volcanic rocky island. Yeah, and then I'm sitting out here in the Canadian prairies. And uh, and we can't build a high speed rail between Calgary and Edmonton yeah. apparently. So uh, so I'm, I'm feeling a little bit jealous at uh, at those top speeds. And it's I don't how... know what's what's up with your skill issues over there. I mean we're building some high speed rail down here. High speed rail. Uh, how how fast is Brightline West going to uh, go? I think they're looking at about 186 miles an hour. That's pretty good. Okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty fast. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. I'm very jealous. I am very jealous. I will be there for the opening uh, and for uh, for the Olympics. We're going to celebrate and do a live podcast from Brightline West 2026, is it? In the, in the casino car. In the casino car. <laughs> You're going to hear slots going in the back. Will there be a casino car? Is that part of the plan? Uh, there was a suggestion. I think Siemens made it for their rolling stock was to have like a party car. Oh, my which, goodness. I mean, it's not a casino car, but that's what everybody was joking about. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I have a lot of thoughts about uh, casinos and about uh, some of the ads that Canada's been getting around uh, casinos and gambling and sports oh betting God, and the sports all books. the garbage that's been coming out. There's there's yeah. one ad that talks about, it's like, play blackjack and play poker and play slots online and this, this, this. And then at the end of the ad, it says, this is not a gambling website. I'm like... What did you just describe to the audience? Mm. <laughs> like you guys. So there's probably some weird uh there's probably a lot of legislation to that. But alas, that's a that's a different podcast. We'll uh we'll exactly. start our, our gambling podcast another time. Um <laughs> and to to be clear, I'm very anti gambling myself. Don't but, worry guys, we'll be we'll be gambling uh, <laughs> streamers on stake. Yeah, soon enough. <laughs> um but uh something that I've been up to is finding out that uh, millennials outnumber baby boomers in Canada. Baby boomers have been the biggest generation in Canada for 65 years, uh, I think. Uh, let me double check. That makes sense. When, uh, yeah, for 65 years, they, and this is coming from StatsCan. So S Statistics Canada says for 65 years, they remained the largest generation in the Canadian population. Uh, that's 65 years. Gen X never never took their place as the largest generation. It's always been baby boomers until just recently. It is, uh, it is now millennials are the biggest generation and uh, Zoomers will uh, be expected to, to take over as well. This is largely thanks to immigration in, uh, in, in Canada. So that's great news. This also means that millennials and uh, Zoomers are the biggest voting block in Canada. Eligible voters... The biggest voting block is millennials and Zoomers. Um, so make sure, like, if you feel like your vote doesn't count, like, we see a lot of memes float around saying, like, oh, my vote doesn't count because, you know, boomers vote, right? Um, your vote does count. Uh, and also some, some boomers are on your side, you know. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, make, so make sure that you, that you participate, that you get out and, uh, and vote. That's, that's, my, that's my little blurb at the beginning here. Yeah, and the thing about this this whole thing, and I'm I'm definitely going to be the, the doom and gloom about this particular thing. But judging by the comments I see about my f 
fellow millennials and what they say about this kind of stuff. I don't have a lot of hope, but you know, at least mm -hmm. I'm seeing more from the younger generations, you know, Ethan's generation. It seems to be more positive and yeah. you know, moving away from car dependency, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't really hear a lot of people say, "Man, I want to live in an exurban neighborhood away from everybody." You either you either get like the small minority of people who want that and then you have yeah, most most Gen Zers want to live in a walkable neighborhood. If you yeah. didn't know that, there's actually been studies that over time it's been growing the amount of by generation the amount of people who want to live in a walkable neighborhood goes up the younger you are. Yeah. And I love Hopefully Gen Alpha continues the trend. I think I think I think they will. I've already started indoctrinating my nieces and nephews to uh, loving bicycles and transit and stuff. Um, although my niece likes planes more, she told me yesterday. But I'll, I'll get her on board a train yeah. soon enough, you know. Um, but uh, but no, you're you're right. Uh, and I think even if um, even if people now are not inclined to living in an apartment building. Uh, that, that's fine. They're they're typically more inclined, at least, to allow the option of for people to to live in an apartment building because that's what we need. We need variety. Not everybody's going to want to live in an apartment. Not everyone's going to want to live in a single family home. Some people are going to want to live on an acreage out somewhere far away and have a have a big garden. And I think that's that's fine too. Uh, the priority here is is options. So I have hope. Um, and I hope that I can give Nick some of my hope. That's my, that's my gift to you today, Nick. Here, here's hope. <laughs> Thank you. You're I welcome. appreciate it. I'll take it. I'll put that in my heart and I'll try to hold on to it. Good, good. Uh, yeah. Ethan, Ethan, do you have anything going on? Uh, not particularly, no. Um, I may be doing a, uh, little special bus trip though coming up though, or a little transit trip around Vegas for a future video, so... That'll, it won't be coming out soon, but, you know, stay tuned. Nice. I look forward to it. Uh, Nick's, Nick's going to kick us off on our news segment here um, with actually some really depressing news. It is depressing. It is depressing. I'm sorry about that. So e-bikes and other e-assist devices have been banned in Key Biscayne, Florida, which is a small island community in Miami-Dade, Florida, which is the southeastern little block chunk, you know, in that Miami area down there. So there's a really sad story that happened. And this was a few weeks ago, an elderly woman in her sixties was riding a conventional bicycle. And there was a collision with a 12 year old boy who was riding an e-bike. And sadly the woman on the bicycle died. She wasn't wearing a helmet. And I don't know the exact details, but that's what happened is, is she did not survive while the uh, young boy came away with, with injuries. But what happened in the aftermath is, I think, the big story, which is the fact that there was an emergency meeting about e-bikes. And yes, they've been effectively banned for 60 days in this community, which is uh, very interesting. It was E-scooters as yeah, well, too. Yeah, other e-assist e devices. And it's, it's pre it was pretty incredible. You can watch some footage of this meeting and people getting pretty irate. It's a full meeting. Uh, and even one community member went to talk about the importance of wearing helmets while on a bicycle and she got shouted down and booed and escorted out of the meeting. Uh, but it, it's incredible to see. So I wanted to highlight a video by one of our a friend of the show, Ben Durham, who was on a few episodes ago, just released a video like maybe an hour ago right now about this. And this video outlines the case itself. 
and goes into the car-centric attitude around bicycles. How many people are killed every year in the county due to traffic violence? And even suggests a more logical reaction, which is to implement a ban on all vehicles involved in fatal collisions. I think he found in the, their own stats that in one year, it was something like 370 people were involved in fatal collisions and traffic violence in this county. So it really brings up the question of our car centrism and the, the reason we're, we're, we're blind to all this traffic violence that's happening in cars. But as soon as one person's killed with an e-bike, we don't even know the, the actual specifics of the case, what kind of bike he was riding, whether it was, you know, an electric motor, motorcycle that could be capable of going over 40 miles an hour, or if it was just conventional pedal assist, 20 mile per hour e-bike, we don't know. But it brings up the whole conversation that we're just, we're just completely blind. Maybe not us here, but you know, as mm -hmm. a society, blind mm -hmm. to the violence that we, we see every single day. It's that the drip pricing of car dependency where we end up with over 40,000 deaths in America every year due to cars. It's, it's crazy. I think, I think one of the main issues, especially with a community like Key Biscayne, is that Key Biscayne is incredibly wealthy. Like it is very well. You have to have some serious money to be living on Key Biscayne. But something that a lot of these people there don't realize, or at least have never thought of, is living life car free. These people on Key Biscayne, a major, a vast majority of them, have never thought about car free living. When they see an e-bike, they think it's essentially a toy. They don't see it as an actual valid mode of transportation. They see it as a toy, as a nuisance, as something that's not to be respected, as a you know actual mode of transportation. So when any sort of incident is involved with it, they're just going to immediately assume, ban it, so that way we can heavily regulate it. And unfortunately, this case here is probably going to have serious cascading effects to the rollout of e-bikes across the country, at least in the U.S., because you're going to see communities, especially ones in like the Sun Belt, where you know urbanism really isn't that big, or like regulations for them really aren't going to be enforced. You're going to see communities rather than enforcing, you know, certain standards to e-bikes like class one and class two is only being allowed. They're going to essentially just outright ban micro mobility. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it is. I think this is why it's really important for people to uh, kind of broaden their perspective a little bit and open their eyes to. Um, to to the way and and to what other people need out of a city, uh, because you you might not need an e bike to get around, but for somebody else that might be a critical component of their mobility. I don't need a wheelchair to get around, but I know for some people that's a critical component for their mobility. That's important for them to be able to get around with it. It's the same thing. Curb cutouts. I don't use curb cutouts. I don't need curb cutouts because I can step up the curb. That's not a problem for me. Even if I'm riding a bike, I can get up the curb, right? But little kids, people in wheelchairs, people with strollers, people pulling carts, and maybe someday I'm going to end up in a wheelchair. You cannot build a city for yourself. You need to build a city for other people when you're considering these things. And and it's unfortunate that the the people in this area, I haven't watched Ben's video yet. It just came out. Um, but it's unfortunate that the people in this area uh, do, don't realize that uh, and and they're creating a, a place that's going to be hostile, more hostile, uh, because, yeah, there are far more traffic deaths from cars 
like period. And I'm all for, um, I'm all for speed limits. And we talk about, uh, you know, traffic calming. You can do traffic calming for bicycles as well. Like that works too. Uh, the way that you design the pavement, right? When I was in the Netherlands, there were, uh, there were some bike lanes and there were some uh, bike paths. And then there were some times where the bike path led into a pedestrianized area, but you could tell something had changed because suddenly you were mixing with cars, you were mixing with people and the pavement was different. Things looked different. There were signs that said, hey, you know, pedestrians are prioritized in this area. So there are ways, just like what we talk about doing with cars, there are ways to also have that effect on uh, on micromobility, including e-scooters and uh, and e-bikes. Like, that's the solution, not, not banning them, right? These people, the people who showed up to this meeting to ban these electrified micromobility devices, um, they, would, they wouldn't want to ban cars, right? No. Because it's a tool. No. It's a tool for getting around. Basically, I think that that's a good point you made, Alex, many good points, but I think it can be an opportunity to talk about certain limitations that should be on some of these vehicles. And I'm not against having some limitations mm -hmm. for sure. Like if your vehicle, ESS vehicle, goes over 20 miles per hour using a throttle, that's going to be a problem if you just let that spread far and wide. You don't need any license. 12-year-olds can go and, and their parents can buy them a, an e-bike that can go you know, 40 miles per hour. That's a problem. That's going to cause problems. People are yeah. going to get killed and hurt. So there is reason to actually have implementation of a, some kind of system to make it safer. But how long is this ban going to last? I don't know. Are they actually going to come up with a solution that's going to be helpful for the community? We'll see. I'm not going to hold my breath for that. I think they're just going to extend the ban. And uh, it's just going to basically marginalize people who need these vehicles, which is not something we want. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I will say too, um, I, on the subject you brought up, throttle assist, I actually really like pedal assist. I prefer riding pedal assist e-bikes by far because your, like, your connection with the motion is so much more increased, right? You feel what you're doing. You, you know, like, I'm moving forward, right? Like, it's me doing it. You just have that extra power behind you rather than just being able to take off, which is also fun. You know, I, I like riding throttle assist e-bikes too, but I do think uh, pedal assist are, are superior for, for a multitude of reasons. 100%. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ethan, you do you have more thoughts on, on this uh, one? No, I'm just, I'm, I just know communities in florida like this wealthy beachfront communities very very restrictive on what they want in their neighborhoods especially yeah, yeah they're they're not going to be it's likely that they're just going to keep extending this ban yeah yeah which is which is really they unfortunate won't, they won't consider anything else they'll just keep going on with the ban because yeah. it also you know it keeps people of lower income out of key biscayne too yeah. And that's that's huge for them because they're a rich community. They're a rich beach community. They don't want extra people there. Yeah. These are some of the most nimby heavy places in probably the entire continent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's short-sighted. Uh you can't incredibly can't live like that forever. Um unfortunately, otherwise I'd have my own walled city for my for myself with only e-bikes. No walking allowed. No cars, just e-bikes. 
Uh, that would be the rule. Um, Nick, do you have do you have any closing thoughts on that uh, on that uh, video from Ben? I think just that I wanted to add that the the actual fine I think is like two hundred and fifty dollars if you're caught with with an e bike or an ESS vehicle, and that it I think increases from there on out if you're caught again. And I just wanted to say one last oh, okay. thing is that. Check out this video. It is very well done. Uh, ben Durham, and the title yeah. of the video is Why E-Bikes Have Been Banned Officially in Florida. Yeah, Ben, make, ben makes great stuff. Um, and we're going to get on to a story that I've got here, uh, which is the Calgary Municipal Land Corporation, henceforth known as CMLC, is completing a bunch of major projects this year, including the expanded BMO Centre, which is Western Canada's largest convention center or it will be once it's once this expansion is completed so that's a big deal and the victoria park lrt station rebuild and uh, the 17th avenue extension uh will also be completed this year uh and then later this year ground will be broken on the new arts commons project and uh, the new event center which will be uh the home of the calgary flames i believe that's expected to be done in 2026 or uh, 2027, something like that for, for either one of those NHL seasons. So um, we've got a few, a few, big, a few big projects happening uh, in the city. So I'm super excited for those. Um, but I also want to highlight uh, kind of what CMLC is and, uh, and what they do uh, after, after I found this, um, this press release from them. And I followed them for a while. Uh, but I'm going to kind of read a bit from their about page here so you guys can get an idea of, of what their deal is. So in 2007, the city of Calgary created CMLC to kickstart Calgary's urban renewal by revitalizing the, the Rivers District, uh, 504 acres on downtown's east end, including East Village and Calgary's emerging culture and entertainment district through mindful master planning, creative placemaking, and bold city-building ventures, we're transforming Calgary into one of the world's most livable and lovable cities. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's from their about page. So it's a, it's a little bit of, uh, of marketing from them, but I've, I actually really like the work that they've done. So maybe, you know what? Should I share my screen with you guys? Go should for I, it. Should I Please. do that? Because um, I, like, I feel like we haven't done that in a while, actually. But I got to find the page here. Okay, so screen share away. Here we go. Okay, so this is Calgary. I use this Calgary imagery in so many of, of my videos. I, I love this resource. So this here, this is kind of the area I'm talking about, this Rivers District. I'm outlining it with my mouse for the people listening. So it's McLeod Trail. Uh, east and then kind of uh, bordered by the Elbow River in the south here, as well as the east and the Bow River in the north. Okay, so in in this area, we see right now we have just like tons of parking lots. Right, kind of ugly, kind of gross. This is where Stampede happens. Obviously, this footage, this uh, picture was taken at Stampede. You can see some of the rides and the events. Uh, set up there. This is the BMO Center. Uh, the new one will be a lot cooler, and uh, this is under construction here. 
Um, but yeah, parking lots, stuff like this, you know, uh, part of their plan is to add an underpass here, a multimodal underpass under the CP rail tracks here to connect the, uh, the culture and entertainment district over here with the East Village over here. So I'm going to take us back in time though. So for people not watching the video, you can scroll through like all of Calgary history here. So we're going to actually go all the way back to 1948. So this wow. is some imagery from 1948 in Calgary. This is now what is the East Village. Um, you see it's a lot of single family housing. There's some other stuff over here. There's some uh, more industrialized stuff by the river's edge. And of course, uh, CP Rail had their, had a big rail yard that has since moved to the east from this spot where it is here. But a lot of single family homes, a lot of big blocks. And then we're going to travel forward uh, in time. So this, this right here, this is all the stampede grounds we're looking at. Um, 1953, you see not much has changed. But you'll start to see these homes torn down and replaced with parking lots uh, and some stampede buildings as we, as we go forward. You see here, 1982, a bunch of homes torn down to build the Saddle Dome. Uh, a bunch of homes have been torn down for the stampede grounds here, and we'll continue to see more of that happen. Homes torn down for parking lots. Homes torn down. Look at all that done in the 80s. So they tore down these homes to create parking lots for um, the Saddle Dome for, uh, for people to go see hockey games. And you see continuing into the 2000s. Like this, this is recent that, these, uh, that this continued to happen. You see a big change um, from 2005. You still see some homes here. Uh, lots of these were abandoned by this point. And then 2006, pretty much gone. 2007, they've paved it and uh, put in some parking lines there. So that continued to happen. Um, and then, of course, uh, you see the same thing. East Village, this used to be homes, and uh, it's, it's been torn down. And then as we move forward, we start seeing those parking lots that, um, like, the, the homes weren't torn down for the buildings that are there now. The homes were torn down for parking lots, for the most part. Uh, which is just like super depressing. This is the 2013 flood. All of this was flooded. Um, but uh, then you see construction starting to happen. And as we jump forward, 2018, Central Public Library opens. Still a bunch of parking lots here. But then we start seeing more housing going up in, uh, in the area until we're back to the 2022 images. And uh, so CMLC, their, their responsibility is this Rivers District to revitalize it from what we did to it, massacring it, uh, destroying homes to put up parking lots, and uh, now to make it into a place that, uh, that people want to be. So I'll, uh, I'll end the screen share there. And uh, yeah, was that an interesting presentation? That was a, that was a bit, but hopefully that was oh, I love interesting that. context for what they're doing here. Yeah, and it's really good context to see how, how much it can change so quickly. Like we think about something like mm -hmm. that being a long time ago, like 80 years. Yeah, I guess it is. It's a lifetime for sure. But it, 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 in the grand scheme of things, it's not a long time. To so, so to see it change that much no. is incredible. Yeah. 
And it also, yeah. it's also, yeah, like, I mean, sorry. Yeah. Go, I was going to say Nick. it's also encouraging because it, it also tells us that, that we can make change for the better too, quickly. Yeah, yeah. Because, I, I mean, looking at, uh, at, at those images, so I, I know people and I associate regularly with people who were alive when the stampede grounds were just houses, when that was just, there was just single family homes there. And, uh, and then in, within their lifetime, between then and now, those homes were torn down, turned into parking lots for these uh, event spaces, and now are being revitalized in a way that is actually like useful and beneficial to the community through housing, through event spaces, through um, through the public library there, right? Like we see that development um, happening from from going to awful to great, all within somebody's lifetime, right? Um, and, and so hopefully, hopefully people can see that and, uh, and can get a little bit of optimism out of that, uh, realizing that these changes can happen within your lifetime. It does take a long time, um, but you will eventually get to look back at it uh, if, if, if you work at it, if you work to make your community a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it actually reminds me a lot of um, what's going on in Austin, Texas. I don't know mm. if you guys have seen that, but it's probably one of the best cities when it comes to repurposing um, unused, you know, surface lots and actually turning them into housing for people in Austin. Because Austin was never really a big Texas town, and now it's really... A lot of people wanted to move there in the 2000s, 2010s, even to today, and now... Austin actually has kind of a recognizable skyline from all the high-rise apartments that have actually been built because most of that building there has been housing, not offices, yeah. which is and it's all infill too, which is even better. Yeah. Yeah. I think um I I think in a weird way uh there's there's a way that we can take advantage of a lot of the destruction from the mid to late uh 20th century. A lot of the destruction that we saw, where we saw in those videos, people's homes were tur- tor- torn down to make parking lots. Like literally, literally, that's where they went. They it wasn't it wasn't that like it wasn't a highway. It wasn't a train. It wasn't like it wasn't any of these things that you're kind of like, okay, but is that something we had to do? Right? It wasn't something where like, well, we have to weigh the options and we have to make considerations to like. In order to do this, we have to do that and, you know, whatever sacrifices have to be made, whatever. Parking lots. Parking lots. That's that's what we've replaced these homes with, guys. Like, something that it's it's like, who's this benefiting? Who's this helping? Um, and and so, uh, in a weird way, I think um, there, there are a lot of spaces that we can take advantage of uh, because they've been torn into these awful paved hellscapes that are parking lots. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely. But I, I just have a, a yeah. side note. I want to ask you what you think about it. So Calgary is obviously a very suburban city. It's very sprawling, mm-hmm. right? So how do you reconcile that? You know, a lot of this parking was built for that purpose, that people could commute into the yeah. downtown. So how do you reconcile that when you infill this with, you know, let's say a, a beautiful walk, walkable community close to downtown, now, what do you say to those constituents who live in suburbia? Yeah, I, I say take the train. We have one of the best LRT systems in North America. Uh, we're building a third line right now. 
in order to serve a lot of the city. I've mapped it out. Like I've gone into the map uh, and, and I've, I've gone through and I've kind of outlined, okay, if I was like from scratch, where would I, where would I run the trains? And uh, it's the places where we have them. I think our LRT system is pretty well thought out. It does feed mostly into downtown. And I think that's something that could use a lot of work, uh, having more crosstown routes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we have a train, we have a train that goes downtown guys. Like it's dense, it's busy. You don't want to drive down there anyway. Uh, I've, I've never met anybody who says like, no, I prefer driving downtown. No, you'd rather take the train. Like, I'm pretty sure we'd all rather take the train downtown. Like it sucks driving through density. Uh, it's, it's busy and it's crowded and it's smelly. Uh, it's, it's much more comfortable to just have, uh, mass transit. Um, so that's, that's, that's what I would say to that. And I would also say, um, advocate for more services, more amenities near you advocate for those activity centers that we see that have those massive parking lots to serve similar purposes to what we see in downtown. Uh, cause, cause we can do that too. Like, it's not like we can only build density here. Uh, we can provide better services, better amenities, uh, to people all across the city and you can keep your single family home if you want to I'll be upzoning it <laughs> yeah I think we should upzone too but important to remember upzoning doesn't force you to build more densely on your property it only permits you to um, so if you if you live in a single family home and you like your single family home you can do that you can even buy your neighbor's house if, uh, if, they, if they're looking at selling I know somebody who did that. Uh, they did not want uh, townhomes next to the, next to their house, so they bought their neighbor's house and rented it to one of their kids. So uh, that's an option too. <laughs> so nobody's forcing you to build more densely on your property. Just buy a second house. No big deal. Yeah, buy, just yeah, buy, buy a second, a second house. house. It's easy. Buy a third it's one easy. too if you feel like it. It's very simple. Landlords hate this one simple trick. <laughs> Buy the house next door. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my thing with uh, CMLC. A lot of good things happening in Calgary. I'm excited for the Arts Commons, especially, um, and uh, I I think they've they've done a really good job managing these projects, and I'm excited to see uh, what comes next. Um, but uh, with some good news. Nick. Yeah, this comes from Toronto, my old stopping ground. So starting Monday, TTC riders will only have to pay one fare when transferring to and from Go Trains, tra Transit, and other GTA transit services. So this is something that was kind of supposed to be implemented a while ago. It's taken a while. It's been a couple of years. But yeah, this is happening. So if you're paying by a Presto card, debit, or credit, you'll be able to transfer for free between TTC and Brampton Transit, Durham Regional Transit. Is it Me Way or My Way? That's the Mississauga's Transit and York Region Transit within a two-hour free transit window. So that's that's really cool. So this is something that sh obviously should have been implemented a while ago, but the fact that it has been implemented is a good thing. So we can say thumbs up, good job, and we're glad it's happened because this is something that obviously it just it, it shouldn't be that way that you'd have to pay twice to get to where you're going. It makes it easier to travel and uh, makes it more affordable and actually more enticing for people to get on the train and the go train specifically people who are coming commuting from out of toronto to get into the city so what's actually happening happening is the ontario government is going to be reimbursing uh 
these transit organizations who might have lost out on money from that the cash flow that hmm. they would have gotten from people paying twice essentially so that's to keep the the money flowing which is a good thing it's a, it's a subsidy that i think will be a positive for the greater toronto area which is which is awesome and this is something where you think about other transit agencies and it would just not be possible so again i want to talk about japan just briefly in tokyo they have their own metro system obviously the tokyo metro but there's also jr that it has local trains through the city too so when you're going around the city you'll get on the metro then you'll end up on a completely different system that they they're not the same system but it, it almost feels like, like exactly the same metro so imagining having two different cards to pay for those two different things which would be just such a pain in the ass but i just wanted to mention that anyway what do you guys think about yeah. this yeah um it's, I'm so glad that Toronto can learn from Los Angeles on this whole payments thing. Because LA has actually had this, I think, for like the past five or six years. Hmm. Which is actually kind of great. So if you buy, basically, for LA's version of Go, which is Metrolink, if you buy a ticket through there, you get free transfers to, like... You get free transfers to LA Metro, you get free transfers to Foothill Transit, I think Blue Bus, a whole bunch of other systems in the, like, greater LA area you'll get free transfers too. And it, it's it's worked out great. I mean, I've used it before when I was visiting LA. And yeah, I mean, nothing beats a free transfer off of the uh, off of the regional rail. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice integration of systems, right? Like nobody, I mean, could you imagine if, uh, if every time you crossed state lines or something, driving your car, you were like, they're like, halt, you need to pay Saskatchewan insurance you know, or, or something like that, right? It's like, it's like just having it integrated, having it be seamless so that you can travel um, around. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. The more of that we have, the better. Maybe someday we'll have like uh, a North America card and we'll be able to like take trains down to Costa Rica or something. That'd be incredible. Oh. All on one pass. Oh. All on my Calgary transit pass. <laughs> this guy is definitely funded by <laughs> Me WDF. transferring on Vegas RTC all the way down to Mexico City via my RTC card. So how well yeah. do you know yeah. Klaus Schwab, Alex? <laughs> uh, not at all. <laughs> He's definitely going to... The WEF checks were really hitting yeah, today. Yeah, that, that world government what? vibe. Who... Wait, wait, wait. Who's Klaus Schwab? Is he like a WEF person? Yeah, yeah. I think he's the head of it. Oh, okay, okay. I thought I thought he was like I thought he was like the head of a transit organization and you were asking me like how well I know him cuz he sucks at transit or something. <laughs> uh, I I wasn't sure what connection you were trying to make. No. But <laughs> That's funny. He's calling you a uh, WEF George so Soros uh, shill. Yeah. Well, I am. It's true. I just don't yeah, know their names. Same here. I just, it's, I just get their money. Yeah, it's just anonymous emails, guys. I, I'm not worried about yeah. it. They're, they're, they pay me through like 15 different shell accounts. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I have to have three different Bitcoin wallets. No big deal. Yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's this is great though. This is great. Yeah, this, it is. Um, it's super exciting. So, do you know how they track that, Nick? I have no idea how they track it. No, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it just, it does feel like a conservative push, you know, get some good news out there. It is good news from the conservative government of Ontario, which has a lot of blunders, like yep. one after another, it seems, when it comes to highways expansion yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, that's, yep. that's a good thing. Um, but Toronto's not the first place to do this. Obviously, like uh, Ethan said about LA, it's, I believe in London, it's the same thing. So it, mm -hmm. it's just to, to get on board. 
again, it's going to make transit easier for anybody who wants to commute into the city. And that's good. But uh, I think... Yeah, it doesn't need to be complicated. So I think we should move on to Ethan's story here. Go ahead, Ethan. Yeah, let's roll. All right, folks. Um, Probably about five or six episodes ago, I brought up this topic before. But it's the... um, It's relating to the horrible news that's coming out of Indiana. Um, This wonderful, wonderfully awful bill, I must say, SB 52, that's currently in the Indiana Senate, Senate, actually recently just got approval from some council there. And what SB 52 does is it essentially bans bus lanes in the state of Indiana. Yeah, so that that got further advancement (sighs) into another council. Um, So... It did get one amendment, though. It did get one major amendment to it to pass. Um, it's only effective in the city of Indiana, Indianapolis. So bus lanes will effectively, since we'll probably see, likely see this get passed because it is a very Republican supermajority state, um, we'll likely see this get passed and bus lanes will be banned within the city of Indiana. Nowhere else in the state of Indiana, just the city of Indiana. So other cities like Gary, Michigan City, Fort Wayne, South Bend, they can all build BRT. But Indianapolis, with their Indigo project for BRT, they're going to have to give up their bus lanes. They can't call them bus lanes anymore. It's going to be illegal to build them. And this is right in the midst, folks, of them building a brand new section of their BRT. So currently they have one section of their BRT, and it's not like... It's not been watered down BRT. This is like full on like actual legitimate BRT, full on bus lanes, nice shelters, good frequency, late hours running. It, it's a good BRT system and it currently has one line at the moment. And this is all stemming from the creation of the second line of their BRT, the blue line, which would be the east west east west running portion. I'm going to share my screen real quick here just to kind of show you guys um, like just some some of their basic information that they have on their website uh, but yeah it's it's if you can see this is like this is a legitimate BRT station like this yeah. there's this, this is about as pretty solid for BRT um, I, this is the current red line that we have here and then we scroll down yeah you can see it's a really nice station it's frequent it's it's reasonably fast for BRT. And yeah, the city has gotten a lot of federal and local funds into this project. If you can see, there there's also a plan for a short purple line as well, too. But yeah. if you can see, that's $1.2 billion, and the city of Indianapolis did not get that alone. Yeah. So yeah. the problem with this is that a lot of federal funds are likely going to go out the window on this purely because they won't be able to fund specific bus lanes. There has been some talk about possibly getting around that, but we'll see what Indigo wants to try proceeding forward if they're not allowed to build bus lanes. So is there like, ever? you know, everybody has multiple reasons for doing things or, you know, banning things in this case. What is like, what is the justification uh, for doing this? So the main justification, I believe, like the like very like, you know, like polished justification for banning bus lanes comes down to, I believe, safety vehicles. And like this is just an excuse. This isn't the reason they want to ban them. Uh, It comes down to safety. And I believe they want the freedom of travel for vehicles to use any lanes on the road. 
That is so... The real reason is that the senator who created the bill is deep in the pockets of the auto industry and gas industry, but... Well, well, that's uh, (laughs) very disappointing. It's incredibly Um, disappointing. It's, yeah, it, it is really frustrating. That is a massive, massive setback. And it's very odd that it's city specific. That they're not like oh, yeah. that. It, that it's a state bill, but they're saying like just just here, you know. It's it's really all out of spite. Like I yeah. genuinely believe that the Indiana like representatives from around the state just hate their main city. They just have this hatred for it. I, I no, I seriously believe they just have this like hatred of Indianapolis and nowhere else. And Indianapolis is the state capital, right? It is the state capital, correct. So they just they just must be like, well, I don't want to see buses on my way to work at the capital. Probably building. somewhere around that, yeah. That would be that would be my assumption. Um, but there are two ways that this might that this bill might completely backfire. Um, there's one where Indigo could completely go around um, SB fifty two and make either HOV lanes for vehicles with five plus riders, (laughs) meaning that it would be HOV purely for anything with five plus riders. So Mm -hmm. that means that pretty much eliminates all regular cars and you'd have to have a SUV fully loaded with people to be justified to drive in that lane. Or you could make emergency lanes with exceptions for buses. Right. On top of this as well, since they did collect federal funds, this is this is the long shot option. This is like the real like almost like conspiratorial level. They could real realistically the federal government could pull funding from the state of Indiana for backing out on their grants to the city. Right. Because right. they promised bus lanes in the project and if bus lanes aren't being built then the then state they, or the gov- the federal government could withdraw funding, but that's like long shot, like conspiratorial territory. There, right? I think your best option would be like five plus car HOV or five plus people HOV lanes or emergency lanes. But that's yeah, totally it is. Wild. It's a really wild, really disappointing story to hear come out of Indiana. That or they could just build subways. Hey, I'll take subways. Yeah. Are always good. Nick, you got thoughts on this? Yeah, it, it just seemed from an outsider perspective who doesn't have a lot of knowledge about this, it just seems like it's coming from a place of ignorance or, again, the conspiratorial side from some kind of funding in the auto industry to lessen the impact of good public transit so that more people buy cars and spend money on gasoline. It's it just it's so dumb. It's so dumb. Yeah, it is really yeah. it, it is really odd. Like, I love to think that when you when you educate somebody on why this is actually good you know on on how this will actually save the state money and it'll encourage uh it'll it'll encourage economic activity and upward mobility of the lower class and middle class um but uh but i i know that there are people out there that uh and on specific topics they on other topics they might be willing to listen but sometimes people really get their uh their head in the sand uh about certain things and they don't want to hear about it whether and sometimes it's just like they just hate buses you know (laughs) maybe they had a bad experience on one once i don't know they were actually planning to build light rail but that project also got canceled because the state banned light rail in indianapolis wow yeah so there's precedent on this one 
before you know it, they'll be banning your cars. First light rail, then buses. Cars are next, people. You I better watch out. I think bikes would be next. I no, think bikes would be. No, we're going. We're we're going bigger to smaller. Bikes bikes are further down the list. It's going to be See, cars. My, my thought then on bikes. this is has always been that Indianapolis is actually just the peak city of urbanism because they don't want to settle for light rail or BRT. They want to go full in on a heavy rail metro that's yeah. fully grade separated, likely fully automated. I think Indianapolis is just ahead of the curve. Honestly, they just, be, they just don't want to settle. Could you imagine if that is what happened? They're just like, fine, we'll just build a subway. That would be the greatest outcome of all time. Like, yeah. I, I don't think you could beat that, but it's, yeah. it's, I, I would bet literally everything that I have against that. Yeah. Okay. That, but yeah, let's move on. <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. Um, but uh, yeah, is the, are we done with our news stories? Yep. We are done uh, with our news looks stories. Looks like it. Uh, Ethan, you've got some listener mail. Stories. Yes, folks, let's roll into the listener mail today. This first message comes from at History Leisure, and they commented, I've actually thought of the local branch of the Rock Island line. This is in relation to yesterday's video, by the way. I've actually thought of the local branch of the Rock Island line should just run independent. And I think people are just happy slash shocked that Metro isn't stuck with their dinosaur diesels only. I could a larger order for for the electric district. Ugh, I can't speak today, folks. For the electric district, and possibly making a few edge shuttles to McHenry, or just convert LRT and extend to Richmond to the South Mall. Yeah, it's it's been splitting between the main branch of the local line service anyway and Scarborough. I renamed the Rock Island line the Beverly branch, local branch, and the main line to Joliet, the South Central service. Since it would be in the middle of the Southwest service, except the last bit where it's actually west in order to serve Joliet, and the proposed Southeast service, and to me would make a lot of sense for the South Shore line to add Kensington as a stop, since the CTA Red and Metro South, Ele- or South Electric service would stop at, at Michigan, which would be close, but still likely out of station. History Leisure, thank you so much for your comment. Um, it's always good to see Chicago transit planning when it comes to that. Uh, in all honesty, I think that Metra has surprisingly really good coverage of their network. Hmm. Uh, what I think they should probably do, though, is probably work on making frequency a bit better outside of the 9-to-5 commuter. And in all honesty, I really don't see a whole lot of benefit to extending the line further out into the suburbs since a lot of it would just be going exurban. So what I really think Metro should do if they want to improve is basically do what Philadelphia did and kind of convert their system into an S-Bahn type deal with their regional rail and essentially dig a giant tunnel underneath Chicago Union Station and connect all those lines that run through there. Basically, there have been, I believe, Shy Urbanist on Twitter is really big on this, but it would be basically converting the, the Chicago system to be completely through running for downtown, rather than being a whole terminus system that it currently is. It, it's, it's a lot of deep Chicago lore here when it comes to it, and it would really be breaking down a lot of transit planning. We, we Guys, we could talk about this for hours here, but it was just exciting to see them get... Stadler flirts are planned to say that they're planning to get Stadler flirts because yeah you could you can honestly talk or I personally could talk about different cities rail systems for hours but on on radio free urbanism at the moment we don't have time to break into the deep lore of Metra but it is really exciting to see your comment so thank you so much history leisure 
I I do have a question before we move on to the next comment. Let's do it. You said S-Bahn. Uh, can you explain, because I've seen this all over the place, and I see it on, like, the transit subreddit, and people are, like, putting it on their fantasy transit maps and stuff. Can you please tell me what is S-Bahn, and also what is U-Bahn, because I hear that as well. Here, let me just pull up the, um, the, uh, the, the maps of what they are. Okay. Because it's 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 a lot easier to show than to actually like explain it. We'll try to explain it right, still right. too, because it is a podcast after all. So yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that is fair. I we, will explain we've, it. We've been very visual today. We're always very visual. That's true. So, folks, That's true. It does it does help to. I'm looking for the right model here, but S bonds essentially have. I'm I'm gonna have to use my hands here. They essentially use kind of more of like an interlining strategy where basically all the lines kind of can. They basically, like, all converge into downtown and then spread out. Okay. So it's kind of almost like an hourglass-shaped kind of, like, service. Like, it fans out and then all connects in the middle, kind of running together. Um, surprisingly, a service that relates a lot to that would be Bay Area Rapid Transit or BART. Okay. And then a U-Bond-type service is something that kind of, like... It essentially has, like, different point connections instead of all running together where you have, like, different, like cross connections for a system uh i don't think that there's really a good example in north america for it i could always just say the u-bahn in germany but you know it's uh yeah this is this is honestly a question that i get a lot and personally it's just really hard to explain without like a proper diagram and i i don't have one right now but you know i'm sure the listeners could look it up yeah okay so Maybe next week we'll... Uh, I, I will go into that next week. I will yeah. make sure that we're planned out for that. Okay, perfect. Okay, so our next comment comes from Jen Hall, good friend of the show. Stay tuned, everybody. Uh, Jen Hall says, if someone was moving to your city and asking you to share your recommendation for the most walkable slash bikeable neighborhood to live in, what would you tell them? Oh, do you want me to go first? I got one right on the tip yeah, of my tongue. Yeah, Nick, you can, you can go first. <laughs> All right, well, this is an obvious answer for Vancouver, and it's going to be the West End and downtown. So if you don't know Vancouver, there's this peninsula that kind of makes up most of the downtown. And there's, again, in the West, West End, very close to Stanley Park, also very close to English Bay Beach. And obviously, you could walk to anywhere, but more importantly, at least from my perspective, is that it has probably the best cycling, quote-unquote, streets in Vancouver, they used to have like a car-free free street down there. I think they they took it away. They you know, pedaled back on that. Like they do a lot of things in Vancouver, but it's still a great place to bike. Obviously, an, an amazing place to walk because everything is within walking distance. There's even a school down there, a, a public school. Uh, what do you call it? Primary school. It's a grade eight, I think. Yeah, it's just it's a wonderful mm-hmm. place, and it's a place that I often visit in the summertime when I want to go hang out with friends. Is you know go down to Davie Street to to a pub or hit the beach. Nice. Nice. Ethan, what, uh, where would you move in Vegas if you wanted, uh, to, to live a walkable life? I'm going to tell you, uh, don't look to Vegas if you want to live a walkable life, but if you had to, I'm going to suggest either Fremont East or the Arts District, and those are the neighborhoods that are just to the east of downtown Las Vegas and just to the south of downtown Las Vegas. And they generally have more walkable streets than, say, you know, anywhere else in the valley. You're also going to have, you know, more amenities within walking distance of you. 
and also frequent bus service. The problem is, is that it's, it's just not that great for walkability regardless. Like, it, it's the best out of a out of a steaming shit pile. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yep. Well, uh... That, that's your best. Vegas listeners, let's let's try and up those numbers. Let's uh, let's make it better. Uh, in in Calgary, though, I would probably Bridgeland. Bridgeland is high on my list. Uh, there are a ton of apartments there, and uh, I've got I've got a story for next week, so we'll we'll probably visit there next week. Uh, but also Inglewood, uh, Hillhurst, those are all great areas, and the Beltline. Uh, the Beltline, if you're looking for a walkable life, that's a that's a good bet as well. So those are those are the places I would choose here in Calgary. Uh, thanks, Jen, for uh, for your comment. Nick's got us with this last comment here today. Yeah, this is from Sean Troy three one seven two, and they say festivals and parades often shine a light on different ways that streets can be used, pedestrianized or made car lights. This past year, Las Vegas and Miami hosted F1 street races and Chicago hosted a NASCAR event. What do y'all think of events like these and how they impact cities? The good, the bad, the ugly. Oh, did I did I steal that for the beginning of the show when I wrote in the good, the bad, and the Shinkansen? I don't know. Maybe I uh, subconsciously you, uh, you might be stealing that from the uh, from the movie of the same title. Oh, from yes, like there is a movie, isn't there? <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so this is something... Uh, I, I wanted to talk about at some point, and I don't want to go into the, the depths of this, but the conflicts between being a person who is also an urbanist and then also into, you know, motor sports racing. I am a huge fan of Formula One, and I have been for several years now. And it's something that uh, is, is a conflict in my heart. There's a line across the heart of every person, I think. And I don't want to go into the depths of that, but I can definitely talk about the F1 Quote, okay, quote unquote, street race in Miami. Okay, that was a parking lot race in Miami around the Miami Dolphins Stadium. That was okay, it's a street race, whatever. But anyway, what do these things, these, these events do for cities? And I think it, it is also, you can talk about uh, the Olympics and other events like that, or FIFA World Cup that's coming in a couple of years to North America as well. I think they all share a lot of the same things. And do I think they're good for, for, for cities? They can be if they're done in the way where the infrastructure that's built can be used and lasts for, for decades to come. And I know in Calgary, that's that's been a thing. Even There's probably some infrastructure there still from 1988, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Right? And I'm thinking Yeah, of, and that was almost 40 years yeah. ago. Uh, same in yeah. Vancouver with the 2010 Olympic Games. I rode by a couple weeks ago in Richmond. There's a, a beautiful... Um, is it a swimming center or skating center? I can't remember, but there's a huge center there. It's basically a community rec center now, a massive one, a beautiful one. It's fantastic. And there's lots more infrastructure like what was built around Olympic Village near False Creek in Vancouver. But as far as the smaller events, like we're talking about F1 and, and NASCAR, I, I honestly, like, again, as I'm conf conflicted about this, I really enjoy F1. And this is on the cusp of the first race weekend of the 2024 season that's happening in Bahrain. And we're talking about oil and politics and all that crap. But just as far as it comes down to the city impacts, I honestly don't think there's any good impacts other than, hey, let's figure out how to make public transit better for these events if it's a regular thing that's going to occur every single year. That's, I mean, I don't know, in, in financial impacts that could be positive for a city. 
I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, well, Vegas just had the uh, Formula One race, and they signed a contract for, I believe, 10 years that they can opt out after three. But it, it's getting into a whole bunch of legal stuff there when it comes to it, because apparently the county's not a fan, and F1 didn't sign a contract with the county. But, um, yeah, uh, the benefits of F1 really just did not pay off for what had to happen for it. Um, Vegas ended up having to spend hundreds of millions to pave the streets to be able to, you know, get cars up into track condition. They had to set up all these temporary vehicle bridges, which um, backed up traffic even worse. And transit really wasn't, you know, used as a supplement. It was just kind of there existing normally and then still getting backed up when F1, you know, ran their cars because Vegas hasn't done anything to, you know, give their transit any sort of priority. So... And from my opinion, F1 is not a great deal for cities that want to, you know, even try and get, you know, a step into, you know, making their cities a little bit more walkable because you're designing your streets for vehicles that are going 200 miles an hour and then regular vehicles are going to use the road after that. So it doesn't exactly equate to, you know, making great pedestrian spaces. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think. It depends on a few things. It depends on the city and the event and, uh, and, and people's willingness to engage with that event, right? Vegas, I mean, you, you hear, oh, we're going to host this big, you know, international event in Vegas. You, you think like, wow, that's perfect, right? Like F1 in Vegas. Okay, sounds, sounds good. But uh, they obviously didn't have like all of the additional infrastructure that was needed in order to properly support that and to properly benefit from it either, right? Uh, Nick mentioned uh, the Calgary Olympic Games hosted in 1988 here and the Vancouver Games hosted in 2020, uh, 2010. And, and the, the benefits uh, of those games were fantastic there were a lot of things calgary's games were one of the few games in history that turned a profit that actually like made money not just like not just economic benefits but like actually did well for itself um whereas in a lot of other cities you see like i remember after the sochi games you see all this stuff kind of getting sold off and you know they're not using it some of it's breaking depending on where it's built how it's built uh things might be done cheaply or quickly in order to try and uh, prepare it for the Olympics, but then it can't be used afterwards because there's already not a culture around those sports and around those events in those cities. Uh, so I think it really depends uh, on on the city and what they're what they're known for, what their values are, what they care about, and how they build the infrastructure around those uh, around those events uh, in order to in order to actually benefit from them. I think big events are great. I think mm -hmm. big events are fun. I think um, as a major city, inviting the world to your doorstep is fantastic. It's exciting and it does something to the city. And it brings funding to the city that you don't see otherwise, you know, whether that's, you know, provincial funding or, or federal funding uh, that, that you're not going to see uh, without hosting those Olympics or at those, those events. So um, I, I think there are things that have to be um, deeply considered and like thought about and, uh, and considered by the people in the city, by the people running the city, by the people hosting the events. Um, 
yeah, so I, I don't think they're necessarily a bad thing, um, but uh, they certainly could be, but they could also be great. Yeah, okay, so I want to highlight that. And I think, we're talking about highlighting, but I think it really highlights the state of the city too. Like when, you, when you're thinking about mm-hmm. <laughs> Las Vegas, Ethan, what does the strip look like? What is the strip as far as transportation? What is the strip? Um, well, it doesn't really have a whole ton. Um, mm-hmm. It has a frequent bus service that has no dedicated lanes. Yeah. And then a quarter mile to the east of the strip, you have a monorail that you can only access through casinos mm-hmm. and costs $6 for a one-way ride. So what is that? So, yeah, so what is the, so what great is, transit. So what is the street, most, what is the street used for? How do people get around, right? Well, if you look at the street, most people are going to get around in two ways. One, they're going to walk between casinos on dedicated um, pedestrian paths that aren't super wide and deal with a lot of people. So there is a lot of foot traffic. And two, driving. I mean, I believe it's four lanes down the entire stretch. And usually you're not going anywhere fast when you're trying to go down Las Vegas Boulevard mm-hmm. because it is almost always in a gridlock. It's a massive strode, really, right? Yep, and yeah. it is the most famous strode. Yeah. So on the other side, and this is F1 we're talking about, is Zandvoort. So Zandvoort is on the coast in the Netherlands. And every year, this race has been happening. I don't remember when it restarted the race. Anyway, it's happening again this year. Is tens of thousands of people arrive to this racetrack to watch F1 cars by bicycle and by train. And I think it's like eight euros to get on the train, right? It's a, it's a, you could bike from Amsterdam to the racetrack. So it really highlights the way you move people around your city already. So maybe it can be an opportunity yeah. for, for people to think yeah. about that, but it is the conflict of interest is there when you're watching, you know, race cars burning tons of fuel on their own advertising oil companies as they do it. So, I don't know. <laughs> I think I, Nick is morally conflicted. I, I am. <laughs> Nick is selling out to Big Auto. I'm excited to, to go <laughs> more bicycle riding, seeing beautiful places around Japan this afternoon, you know. But also, I'm looking forward to the F1 race this weekend. Yeah, I, I don't know what to, what to say. <laughs> yeah, people are complicated. Yeah. We can like multiple things. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I was uh, chatting with with uh, my parents today and. And I mentioned, oh, yeah, I just went and renewed my license. And they they said, wait, why would you renew your license? I'm like, well, it's still like a good skill to have to be able to drive. And I like like driving. I love road trips, right? I'd love to rent a car and go on a big road trip sometime, you know. Um, Yeah, like just, just because we talk about like removing cars from the cities, from city spaces, doesn't mean that we also can't be entertained by them um, and also can't enjoy them as as tools uh, in in other instances right and and I think I, th- I think that's what urbanism is really all about the friends we make along the way <laughs> um, any anybody have any closing thoughts before we wrap up this episode nope all good to go no that's two nope. two two head shakes uh, well, I'll uh, I'll give it to Ethan here to tell us all of his his plugs and such. All right, folks. I am Ethan, and of course, you folks can find me at Climate and Transit. Except on Twitter, you can find me there on at Climate Transit. And let's send it over to Alex. Alex, how can we find your content? You can find me at Humane Cities wherever I happen to be, which is mostly Instagram and YouTube. 
uh, and I make I make content about building better cities. Nick, where can we find you? You can find me on YouTube at Nick the Door. No, Nick Laporte, <laughs> and other places at Nick the Door. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And I will say, too, we didn't mention this within this episode. You can uh, support us on Patreon uh, at uh, Radio Free Urbanism on Patreon as well. And you can comment on this episode. Give us your feedback. Tell us what you're thinking. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll maybe look at that in the next episode. And you can also email in to us uh, at RadioFreeUrbanism at gmail.com. Thanks, folks, for uh, for joining us. And... May you have just, like, a delightful day. And don't forget that cars are bad and trains are good. Two wheels good. Feet first. This show is made possible by listeners like you. For more episodes, find us on your favorite podcatcher or on YouTube at Radio Free Urbanism.